Chapter 19 The Dying of Elspeth The Quest of the Silver Fleece by W. E. B. Du Bois Recorded by A. J. Hilton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rich! That was the thought that awakened Harry Cresswell to a sense of endless well-being. Rich! no longer the mirage and semblance of wealth the memory of opulence the shadow of homage without the substance of power no now the wealth was real cold hard dollars and in piles how much he laughed aloud as he turned on his pillow what did he care enough enough not less than half a million perhaps three-quarters of a million perhaps was not cotton still rising a whole round million that would mean from twenty-five to fifty thousand a year great heavens and he'd been starving on a bare couple of thousand and trying to keep up appearances to-day the cresswells were almost millionaires ay and he might be married to more millions he sat up with a start to-day mary was going north he had quite forgotten it in the wild excitement of the cotton corner he had neglected her of course there was always the hovering doubt as to whether he really wanted her or not she had the form and carriage her beauty while not startling was young and fresh and firm on the other hand there was about her a certain independence that he did not like to associate with women she had thoughts and notions of the world which were to his southern training hardly feminine and yet even they piqued him and spurred him like the sight of an untrained colt he had not seen her falter yet beneath his glances or tremble at his touch all this he desired ardently desired but did he desire her as a wife he rather thought that he did and if so he must speak to-day there was his father too to reckon with colonel cresswell with the perversity of the simple-minded had taken the sudden bettering of their fortunes as his own doing he had foreseen he had stuck it out his credit had pulled the thing through and the trust had learned a thing or two about southern gentlemen toward john taylor he perceptibly warmed his business methods were such as a cresswell could never stoop to but he was a man of his word and colonel cresswell's correspondence with mr easterly opened his eyes to the beneficent ideals of northern capital at the same time he could not consider the easterlies and the taylors and such folk as the social equals of the Cresswells, and his prejudice on this score must still be reckoned with. Below, Mary Taylor lingered on the porch in strange uncertainty. Harry Cresswell would soon be coming downstairs. Did she want him to find her? She liked him, frankly, undisguisedly, but from the love she knew to be so near her heart she recoiled in perturbation. He wooed her, whether consciously or not, she was always uncertain with every quiet attention and subtle deference with a devotion seemingly quite too delicate for words he not only fetched her flowers but flowers that chimed with day and gown and season almost with mood he had a woman's premonitions in fulfilling her wishes his hands if they touched her were soft and tender and yet he gave a curious impression of strength and poise and will indeed in all things he was in her eyes a gentleman in the fine old-fashioned aristocracy of the term 
her own heart voiced all he did not say and pleaded for him to her own confusion and yet in her heart lay the awful doubt and the words kept ringing in her ears you will marry this man but heaven help you if you do so it was that on this day when she somehow felt he would speak his footsteps on the stairs filled her with sudden panic without a word she slipped behind the pillars and ran down among the oaks and sauntered out upon the big road he caught the white flutter of her dress and smiled indulgently as he watched and waited and lightly puffed his cigarette the morning was splendid with that first delicious languor of the spring which breathes over the southland in february mary taylor filled her lungs lifted her arms aloft and turning stepped into the deep shadow of the swamp abruptly the air the day the scene about her subtly changed she felt a closeness and a tremor a certain brooding terror in the languid sombre winds the gold of the sunlight faded to a sickly green and the earth was black and burned a moment she paused and looked back she caught the man's silhouette against the tall white pillars of the mansion and she fled deeper into the forest with the hush of death about her and the silence which is one great voice slowly and mysteriously it loomed before her that squat and darksome cabin which seemed to fitly set in the centre of the wilderness beside its crawling slime she paused in sudden certainty that there lay the answer to her doubts and mistrust she felt impelled to go forward and ask what she did not know but something to still this war in her bosom she had seldom seen elspeth she had never been in her cabin she had felt an inconquerable aversion for the evil hag she felt it now and shivered in the warm breeze as she came in full view of the door she paused on the step of the cabin framed in the black doorway stood zora measured by the squat cabin she seemed in height colossal slim straight as a pine motionless with one long outstretched arm pointing to where the path swept onward toward the town it was too far for words but the scene lay strangely clear and sharp-cut in the green mystery of the sunlight before that motionless fateful figure crouched a slighter smaller woman dishevelled clutching her breast she bent and rose hesitated seemed to plead then turning clasped in passionate embrace the child whose head was hid in zora's gown next instant she was staggering along the path whither zora pointed slowly the sun was darkened and plaintive murmurings pulsed through the wood the oppression and fear of the swamp redoubled in mary taylor zora gave no sign of having seen her she stood tall and still and the little golden-haired girl still sobbed in her gown mary taylor looked up into zora's face then paused in awe it was a face she did not know it was neither the beautifully mischievous face of the girl nor the pain-stricken face of the woman it was a face cold and mask-like regular and comely clothed in a mighty calm yet subtly masterfully veiling behind itself depths of unfathomed misery and wild revolt all this lay in its darkness good morning miss taylor mary who was wont to teach this woman so lately a child searched in vain for words to address her now she stood bare-haired and hesitating in the pale green light of the darkened morning it seemed fit that a deep groan of pain should gather itself from the mysterious depths of the swamp and drop like a pall on the black portal of the cabin but it brought mary taylor back to a sense of things and under a sudden impulse she spoke is 
Is anything the matter? she asked nervously. Elspeth is sick, replied Zora. Is she very sick? Yes, she has been called, solemnly returned the dark young woman. Mary was puzzled. Called, she repeated vaguely. We heard the great cry in the night, and Elspeth says it is the end. It did not occur to Mary Taylor to question this mysticism. She all at once understood, perhaps read the riddle in the dark, melancholy eyes that so steadily regarded her. Then you can leave the place, Zora? she exclaimed gladly. Yes, I could leave. And you will. I... I don't know. But the place looks evil. It is evil. And yet you will stay? Zora's eyes were now fixed far above the woman's head, and she saw a human face forming itself in the vast rafters of the forest. Its eyes were wet with pain and anger. Perhaps, she answered. The child furtively uncovered her face and looked at the stranger. She was blue-eyed and golden-haired. Whose child is this? queried Mary curiously. Zora looked coldly down upon the child. It is Bertie's. Her mother is bad. She's gone. I sent her. She and the others like her. But where have you sent them? To hell. Mary Taylor started under the shock. Impulsively, she moved forward with hands that wanted to stretch themselves in appeal. Zora, Zora, you mustn't go too. But the black girl drew proudly back. I am there, she returned with unmistakable simplicity of absolute conviction. The white woman shrank back. Her heart was wrung. She wanted to say more, to explain, to ask to help. There came welling to her lips a flood of things that she would know. But Sora's face again was masked. I must go, she said before Mary could speak. Goodbye. And the dark groaning depths of the cabin swallowed her. With a satisfied smile, Harry Cresswell had seen the northern girl disappear toward the swamp, for it is significant when maidens run from lovers. But maidens should also come back. And when, after the lapse of many minutes, Mary did not reappear, he followed her footsteps to the swamp. He frowned as he noted the footprints pointing to Elspeth's. What did Mary Taylor want there? A fear started within him, and something else. He was suddenly aware that he wanted this woman, intensely. At the moment, he would have turned heaven and earth to get her. He strode forward, and the wood rose darkly green above him. A long, low, distant moan seemed to sound upon the breeze and after it came Mary Taylor. He met her with tender solicitude, and she was glad to feel his arm beneath hers. I've been searching for you, he said after a silence. You should not wander here alone. It is dangerous. Why dangerous? she asked. Wandering negras and even wild beasts in the forest depths and malaria. See, you tremble now. But not from malaria, she slowly returned. He caught an unfamiliar note in his voice, and a wild desire to justify himself before this woman clamored in his heart. With it, too, came a cooler calculating intuition that frankness alone would win her now, and all hazards he must win, and he cast the die. Miss Taylor, he said, I want to talk to you. I have wanted to for a year. He glanced at her. She was white and silent, but she did not tremble. He went on. I have hesitated because I do not know that I have a right to, to speak or explain to, to a good woman. 
He felt her arm tighten on his and continued, You have been to Elspeth's cabin. It is an evil place and has meant evil for this community and for me. Elspeth was my mother's favorite servant and my own mammy. My mother died when I was ten and left me to her tender mercies. She let me have my way and encouraged the bad in me. It's a wonder I escaped total ruin. Her cabin became a rendezvous for drinking and carousing. I told my father, but he, in lazy indifference, declared the place no worse than all Negro cabins and did nothing. I ceased my visits. Still, she tried every lure and set false stories going among Negroes, even when I sought to rescue Zora. I tell you this because I know you have heard evil rumors. I have not been a good man, Mary, but I love you, and you can make me good. Perhaps no other appeal would have stirred Mary Taylor. She was in many respects an inexperienced girl, but she thought she knew the world. She knew that Harry Cresswell was not all he should be, and she knew, too, that many other men were not. Moreover, she argued, he had not had a fair chance. All the school ma'am in her leaped to his teaching. What he needed was a superior person like herself. She loved him, and she deliberately put her arms about his neck and lifted her face to be kissed. Back by the place of the silver fleece, they wandered across the big road up to the mansion. On the steps stood John Taylor and Helen Cresswell hand in hand, and they all smiled at each other. The colonel came out smiling, too, with the paper in his hands. Easterly is right, he beamed, the stalk of the cotton combine. He paused at the silence and looked up. The smile faded slowly, and the red blood mounted to his forehead. Anger struggled back of surprise, but before it burst forth silently, the colonel turned, and muttering some unintelligible word, went slowly into the house and slammed the door. So for Harry Cresswell, the day burst, flamed and waned, and then suddenly went out, leaving him dull and gray. For Mary and her brother had gone north, Helen had gone to bed, and the colonel was in town. Outside, the weather was gusty and lowering with a chill in the air. He paced the room fitfully. Well, was he happy or was he happy? He gnawed his mustache, for already his quick, changeable nature was feeling the rebound from glory to misery. He was a little ashamed of his exaltation, a bit doubtful and uncertain. He had stooped low to this Yankee school ma'am, lower than he had ever stooped to a woman. Usually, while he played at loving, women groveled. For was he not a Cresswell? Would this woman recognize that fact and respect him accordingly? Then there was Zora. What has she said and hinted to Mary? The wench was always eluding and mocking him, the black devil. But, pshaw, he poured himself a glass of brandy. Was he not rich and young? The world was his. His valet knocked. Gentleman is asking if you forget to Saturday night, sir, said Sam. Cresswell walked thoughtfully to the window, swept back the curtain, and looked toward the darkness in the swamp. It lowered threateningly. Behind it, the night sky was tinged with blood. No, he said, I'm not going, and he shut out the glow. Yet he grew more and more restless. The devil danced in his veins and burned in his forehead. His hand shook. He heard a rustle of departing feet beneath his window, then a pause and a faint halloo. All right, he called, and in a moment went downstairs and out into the night. As he closed the front door, there seemed to come faintly up from the swamp a low ululation, 
like the prolonged cry of some wild bird or the wail of one's mourning for his dead. Within the cabin, Elspeth heard. Trembling, she swayed to her feet, a haggard, awful sight. She motioned Zora away, and stretching her hands, palms upward to the sky, cried with dry and fear-struck gasp, As cold! As cold! On the bed, the child smiled in its dreaming. The red flame of the firelight set the gold to dancing in her hair. Zora shrank back into the shadows and listened. Then it came. She heard the heavy footsteps crashing through the underbrush, coming, coming, as from the end of the world. She shrank still farther back, and a shadow swept the door. He was a mighty man, black and white-haired, and his eyes were the eyes of death. He bent to enter the door, and then uplifting himself and stretching his great arms, his palms touched the blackened rafters. Zora started forward. Thick memories of some forgotten past came piling in upon her. Where had she known him? What was he to her? Slowly, Elspeth, with quivering hands, unwound the black and snake-like object that always guarded her breast. Without a word, he took it, and again his hands flew heavenward. With a low and fearful moan, the old woman lurched sideways, then crashed like a fallen pine upon the hearthstone. She lay still, dead. Three times the man passed his hands, wave-like above the dead. Three times he murmured and his eyes burned into the shadows where the girl trembled. Then he turned and went as he had come, his heavy feet crashing through the underbrush on and on, fainter and fainter, as to the end of the world. Zora shook herself from the trance-like horror and passed her hands across her eyes to drive out the nightmare. But no... There lay the dead upon the hearth with the firelight flashing over her, a bloated, hideous, twisted thing distorted in the rigor of death. A moment Zora looked down upon her mother. She felt the cold body whence the wandering, wrecked soul had passed. She sat down and stared death in the face for the first time. A mighty questioning arose within, a questioning and a yearning. Was Elspeth now at peace? Was death the way? the wide, dark way. She had never thought of it before, and as she thought, she crept forward and looked into the fearful face pityingly. Mammy, she whispered with bated breath. Mammy Elspeth? Out of the night came a whispered answer. Elspeth, Elspeth. Zora sprang to her feet, alert, fearful. With a swing of her arm, she pulled the great oaken door to and dropped the bar into its place. Over the dead, she spread a clean white sheet. Into the fire she thrust pine knots. They glared in vague red and shadowy brilliance, waving and quivering and throwing up thin, swirling columns of black smoke. Then, standing beside the fireplace with the white, still corpse between her and the door, she took up her awful vigil. There came a low knocking at the door, then silence and footsteps wandering furtively about. The night seemed all footsteps and whispers. There came a louder knocking and a voice. Elspeth! Elspeth! Open the door! It's me! Then muttering and wandering noises and silence again. The child on the bed turned itself, murmuring uneasily in its dreams. And then they came. Zora froze, watching the door, wide-eyed, while the fire flamed redder. A loud, quick knock at the door. A pause, an oath, and a cry. Elspeth! Open this door, damn you! 
A moment of waiting and then the knocking came again, furious and long continued. Outside there was much trampling and swearing. Zora did not move. The child slept on, a tugging and dragging, a dull blow that set the cabin quivering. Then, bang, crack, crash. The door wavered, splintered, and dropped upon the floor. With a snarl, a crowd of some half-dozen white faces rushed forward, wavered, and stopped. The awakened child sat up and stared with wide blue eyes. Slowly, with no word, the intruders turned and went silently away, leaving but one latecomer who pressed forward. "'What damn mummery is this?' he cried, and snatching at the sheet, dragged it from the black, distorted countenance of the corpse. He shuddered, but for a moment he could not stir. He felt the midnight eyes of the girl. He saw the twisted, oozing mouth of the hag, blue, black, and hideous. Suddenly, back behind there in the darkness, a shriek split the night like a sudden flash of flame, a great ringing scream that cracked and swelled and stopped. With one wild effort, the man hurled himself out the door and plunged through the darkness. Panting and cursing, he flashed his huge revolver. Bang! 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 It cracked into the night. The sweat poured from his forehead. The terror of the swamp was upon him. With a struggling and tearing in his throat, he tripped and fell, fainting under the silent oaks. End of chapter 19